Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, prescribing hope for healthy families here on American Family Radio. Here's your host, professor, pediatric nurse practitioner, and mom of four, Dr. Jessica Peck. Well, hello, friends, and welcome, welcome. Today is February 29th. It is, in fact, Leap Day. So I feel like we can start the show without saying happy birthday to all of you February 29th babies out there who have been waiting how long to celebrate your birthday. That's so exciting. So happy birthday to all of the February 29th people. It is also the Collegiate Day of Prayer. Now, if you caught the show on Monday, then you know that. And you know that today we are praying for college students all over the country. And Baylor University is hosting this Collegiate Day of Prayer. It is not an event that has happened every year, but it has happened in years for more than 200 years now. Uh, It's happened periodically throughout that time. And today we are having that Collegiate Day of Prayer. You can actually go to collegiatedayofprayer.org and you can download a prayer guide, Baylor University also has a prayer guide specific uh, to their event. So you can use one or both of those. But I encourage you today to spend some time praying for this next generation. I am so encouraged by what I see in Generation Z. There are students who have a heart for the Lord, who are seeking God with all their hearts. And it is a tough world to live in. We all know that. And we know that more than anything, we want want and we need God in our lives and we need revival. So that's what we're going to talk about today on the show. We I, we are so blessed to have Lisa Whittle with us today. She is a best-selling author. She's a speaker, a podcast host, and a ministry leader, and she has authored nine books, including Jesus Over Everything, God Knows, and her most recent book that I have got literally here in my hands right now. We're going to give it away later, so don't don't miss it. This book is called I Want God, How to Love Him with Your Whole Heart and Revive Your Soul. Who doesn't want that? Lisa is a sought-after Bible teacher. She's host of the popular Jesus Over Everything podcast. She has founded two online communities, Ministry Strong for Ministry Leaders and called Creatives, which is a ministry just for writers and speakers. Lisa is a wife and a mom and a lover of laughter, good food, and the Bible. And this is, I love this, Lisa. You're a feisty work in progress, and you can find out more at lisawhittle.com. But for now, Lisa, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to be here, Jessica. I am so glad that you are here. You know, we have to say that we did not plan this to have you on the show for National Collegiate a Day of Prayer, but it's so perfect because this book, I Want God, How to Love Him with Your Whole Heart and Revive Your Soul, talks about revivals that we talked about on Monday, the Asbury Revival. And there actually was a Welsh revival in 1904, 1905. That was a precursor to that, that people may or may not know. So we will get to that. And the fun thing is that Lisa and I, our daughters, are roommates at college. And so we have college students, and we're asking you, pray for them. Pray for them and pray for all college students. So Lisa, let's just dive right in. What does it mean to want God? And how is wanting God different from loving Him or needing Him? Mm. Well, I think of this 
idea of wanting God and even just the words, I want God as a, a place of desperation. I think it's no secret that we're all desperate for something. Um, some of us are, are desperate for God and we could we could define that as a desperation for him. But some of us are just desperate for more, um, desperately sick of ourselves. And so I, I think there's just this longing, there's a seeking and so sometimes even when I think of the words, I want God, I think of this heart cry. In fact, I call it the heart cry of the sick of me life, uh, because that's the place that I've been in my life, even when I think of that sort of declaration. And really, it comes from um, the idea of the question that Jesus himself asked in John 1, which is, what do you want? He asked it of the two disciples that have been following John as he'd been preaching about the way, about Jesus who was coming. And um, when when he saw him, he said, there, there he is. Paraphrase. But he said, there, there he is. And the two disciples turned around and start following Jesus. Jesus looked around and asked this compelling question, what do you want? And in the original translation, it's what seek ye, what are you looking for? And so uh, it's different than needing God because Need is something that uh, we certainly need to acknowledge. Uh, it's, a, it's a vulnerability. It's the dependency factor. But what actually drives us in life is desire. And so wanting God changes absolutely everything. And that's what I talk about in the book. Well, you know, we know the scripture, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I have learned that as, you know, you kind of think of, people think of that as a magic kind of formula, like, oh, let me, you know, delight myself in the Lord, and then he'll give me everything I want. But he really changes our desires. And you talk a lot in this book about the concept of desire, of wanting God being missed in the church, and how that has caused us problems even in our spiritual leadership. So why is that? Well, it, it causes problems because uh, we haven't given honor to something that is an innate thing that God put within us for a reason. And uh, we haven't honored this extremely important place inside of us because desire absolutely drives everything. It drives what we fight for. It drives what we chase. It, it drives what we're willing to tolerate. It, it drives conversations we're willing to have. Uh, it was, I believe, the question, at least in part, uh, motiv motivated uh, from the Lord for these two disciples because he knew what these men, how these men would die uh, and how they would live. And so he wanted them to know because sovereign God knows everything. He already knew what they wanted, but he wanted them to know what they wanted. And that's really the crux of it. The problem is most of us don't know what we want. And here is the thing. We don't really even want to talk about desire in the church because what's happened is because it's something that we haven't really given much thought about or credence to, it is a conversation that secular culture has been more than willing to pick up and sort of hijacked the conversation and made it all about sex, uh, quite frankly. And so now we don't want to talk about it because we're like, oh, this is a sexual conversation, when in fact no desire is something that God put within us, the desire to desire Him. And so when we don't know what we really want or we're not willing to admit what we want, 
um, it, we can become very, very off mission because we know Matthew six thirty three says, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God." A lot of us actually are seeking something else, and rather than hide from that, and what happens when we do that is we either express it quite liberally in ways that are damaging to us, or we suppress it in a way that's very legalistic, which ends up coming out the other way usually. Um, we need to be honest about what we're actually seeking, what, what we're actually looking for, because at the core of what we're really looking for is God. But often we look for other things in the process and in the interim that feel okay in the moment, but in the end, it's not what we're actually looking for. That's so true. And I had Lauren Gaines on the show on Tuesday. She wrote a book called Unshakable Kids, and she just wrote a devotional about helping our kids to find intimacy with God, which was what we were created to long for, is to have that intimate walk and intimate relationship with God. And I think you're absolutely right. We try, we exchange the truth of God for a lie, and we try to exchange that desire for relational intimacy with other things. And what I see also, Lisa, is so much dissatisfaction because, you know, you think about chasing the American dream. And I see all of these young kids say like, okay, well, when I get into the college that I want to go to, then, you know, that will be good and I'll be happy. And well, when I find my future mate, or when I get married, when I have a house, when I have a baby, you know, it's all of those things. And there's a constantly moving goalpost. And then what we find is that people are still unhappy. Like we are still unhappy. I'm still unhappy thinking I haven't gotten that. And you talk in this book about how people feel desperate. And I do see that, especially since the onset of COVID people just there's a desperation that's palpable in society where people are desperate to quit. They just are desperate for want more. They're sick of something. They're sick of themselves, just like you said. And the interesting thing I think about this book, I Want God, is that you wrote it almost a dozen years ago after a pretty desperate season. And you say that writing it changed you forever. And so what caused, what was the circle of events from that desperation that caused you to write this a dozen years ago and then re-release it now in 2024? Yes, this this is actually a re-release, which is so interesting because this book means just so much to me. Because of the way there that I remember feeling even over a decade ago, um, and it was a place of desperation in my spirit. You know, my kids were much younger. I was in the thick of raising kids, and I just remember feeling completely overwhelmed and grasping at so many things. I was desperate to control my situation. I was desperate to keep my family safe. I mean, even over a decade ago, yes, the world was still feeling out of control and crazy. And I just remember at the time thinking, how can I build this bubble around my family to keep them safe? How can I control our world? And I just felt very desperate by that. I felt desperate to advance in my career. I felt, um, you know, sick of me, desperately sick of me, the same things that I struggled with over and over and over again. I thought, why can't I overcome that? Shouldn't I be better by now? I'm a grown woman. I'm a mother. You know, all of these feelings, I felt desperate in so many areas. And I remember thinking, you know, I I just, I, I desperately want to be approved of. 
I desperately want to be comfortable in my life. I desperately want God to bless me like I think he's blessing other people. I desperately want to know information from God. Like, why won't he fill me in? And all the things that I listed. And so I felt overwhelmed. I mean, sometimes I felt like my head was just spinning and spinning and spinning. And I remember God just just kind of calling to my spirit, like, come away with me. And yet I can't go anywhere. I'm, I'm living this very busy life. But he just sort of called me to my knees is really where he called me. And so I remember getting on the, the, the carpet fibers of my office floor and and saying, God, I, I just, I want this and I want that. And I, then I remember saying, I want you. I just need you. And what I realized was I thought I wanted all these things. I wanted the comfort, the control, the blessing, all that but really what I wanted, Jessica, was to be free from wanting those things. Mm. I wanted God. I wanted God to consume me more than what was consuming my life. And um, I have to tell you that, that what happened to me over the course of, you know, the next 30 days, honestly, when I just began desperately seeking God, shutting out the noise of, of what was going on social media-wise, even with beginning stages of social media, but I had a blog at the time and things like that. Mm-hmm. It changed me. It changed me. It broke some chains off of me in the way of approval and, and things like that forever. And um, I can't say that my life has been perfect because it certainly hasn't been, but I've never been the same since. I think that's so encouraging. I always find your authenticity and your vulnerability in sharing these things that, you know, we're all thinking, but it's really difficult to talk about. And even in talking about, you know, seeking intimacy with God, it's like, we know we're supposed to eat right. We know that we're supposed to sleep. I've been talking about that on my show, Developing 52 Habits for Healthy Parenting. And we know when we do all of those things, we feel better, we function better. Like we know it's good. And yet our sinful nature is just, it's so hard to do that. And that's what I find in our spiritual lives. You know, when we are not in the word, when we're not praying, when we're not fellowshipping with other believers, when we're not seeking to walk with God daily, it's like, you know, you say, oh, I don't feel that great today. Well, great. Have you prayed? No. Have you read your Bible? No. Have you gone to church? No. Have you slept? No. Have you eaten good? No. You haven't done any of that. And then it's like, Oh, I'm shocked that you don't feel well. Well, when we come back, we are going to talk about how Lisa has studied revivals and revivalists of the past. Did you know there was such a thing? Revivalist? We're going to talk about that. But right now, we're going to give away a copy of Lisa's book to not one, not two, but three callers. So call in now at 888-589-8840. That's 888 888- and we will give you a copy of I Want God, How to Love Him with Your Whole Heart and Revive Your Soul. Don't go away. We'll be right back talking about the Welsh Revival, the Asbury Revival, and the revival we hope will start today. Little things can make a difference. A little note, a little smile, the small stone that David hurled at Goliath, and precious little babies. When you sponsor an ultrasound at Preborn, your gift, no matter how small, makes a difference in a big way. Who will this little baby become? What giants will this baby slay? How about the mother who was spared from unspeakable sorrow because of you? 
You never know the difference you're going to make with a donation of just $28 to introduce a mother to her child through ultrasound, which doubles a baby's chance at life. All you have to do is take a few small minutes to make a life-saving donation. Preborn will take it from there as their network of clinics rescues 200 tiny babies every day and shares God's love with mothers. Preborn has a 100% charity rating, so you can give with confidence. Get involved today by dialing pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby, or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. You're listening to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show with Dr. Jessica Peck on American Family Radio. Well, hey, friends, and welcome back on this Leap Day. Happy birthday to you, Leap Day babies. And we are having a really powerful conversation, honestly, and convicting with Lisa Whittle. She is a best-selling author, a speaker, a podcast host, and a ministry leader. She has authored nine books, but her book that we're talking about today is actually a re-release of a book that she wrote about a dozen years ago. This is I Want God, How to Love Him with Your Whole whole heart and revive your soul. And, you know, Lisa, I think back to when I was little and we, we used to have a lot more revivals, I feel like, than we did, than we do now. Like we would go to revival all week. And I actually came to know the Lord during a revival during our church. That was when I first heard God speaking to me. And you have studied revivals and revival lists of the past, including the Welsh revival of 1904, 1905. Tell us all the things that you have learned as many things as you can about revivals and what similarities you see between the past and what's happening now and how God is moving. Mm. Well, I love that today is this collegiate day of prayer because uh, that's, that is such a, a benchmark of revivals is prayer, it's prayer, fasting, that heart intention. Uh, all of those things are marks of Revival, And one of the things that just thrills me the most is seeing this hunger and this desperation for God uh, in these times. And that, that's when God moves and moves so powerfully. You know, we can't, we can't predict it. We, we can't force it. But what we can do is we can learn from revivals of the past, and we can also posture our heart in such a way that, um, that I believe that it can really— Um, move the hand of God and move the heart of God. I I truly believe based on scripture that we know that there is a a way to really have God move in, in revival. And that is by bringing our whole heart to him uh, in repentance and prayer and all of those things. It just gets me excited. So the Welsh revival, the early 1900s was a revival that I studied, even in that place that I was talking about before break of, of desperation in my own life. As I began to Seek the Lord uh, in that sort of that private, quiet place. Even on the, the uh, my office floor, um, He just began to speak revival over me, and I didn't really know what that meant. I just knew that my own soul need revived, and so I did what I think uh, I knew to do, which was to. This is going to sound silly, but I went to my computer and I Googled revivals, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, that believe it or not, that's what I did. And one of the ones that popped up that really stuck out to me was the Welsh Revival. And I just began to study it just ravenously. I ordered some books about it. I began to study it. 
And just some of the things that stood out to me were were these things that was it was sparked by different uh, different moments. It wasn't just one and done. Um, and the, there were some early revivalists that were young, young folks, young people. And so here we are, college, collegiate day of prayer. Here we go. Um, Evan Roberts, who was a young man, uh, and he would go and, and preach in places, and he would be so moved by the Holy Spirit sometimes that even though many folks were gathered to hear him preach, he was not unlike, you know, popular speakers of the day, maybe today that we could liken it to, but the difference was he would get, he would go. And if he felt very overwhelmed by the spirit and and that he didn't need to say a word, he would literally just not even get up and preach. He would sit there and not say a word. And he would just say, I just feel led to pray. And uh, what would happen today if popular speakers said, no, I don't (laughs) think I'm going to preach here. I think I'm just going to pray. I mean, but that's, that's what we need. That's what we need is just to be moved by the spirit to do whatever the spirit leads. And um, I was real moved by a young woman named Flory Evans, who was also, uh, by all accounts, a young woman, perhaps a teenager, who had just recently become a believer, who stood up in church and said some words that changed the course of history, really, said, I love Jesus with all my heart. She didn't know the rules of the pew. She didn't know (laughs) uh, what she should say and what she shouldn't say. Just knew she was she was moved by the spirit to do that, and revival broke out in that place, and over a hundred thousand people were saved. Bars were shut down because people just weren't interested in that anymore. And um, you know, the, even they said that that, that the the uh, animals would not answer their their the commands of their their masters because the the masters would have like such foul language before. But after their conversion, they just did, their language was so cleaned up that they just they didn't say the same words, and so these animals were just they didn't know what to answer to anymore. It, it was just it was a just a crazy movement of God, and um, it was all sparked by this repentance and 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 prayer and all of these things. Evan Roberts would get up from one to five in the morning and he would pray, and I just wonder what would happen if if we if we actually were dedicated to prayer, if we were as dedicated to prayer as we were scrolling our phones. And that's a conviction for me, Jessica. Mm. I mean, what would happen if the hours that I spend on my phone, I, I see them because they, they tell me, mm-hmm. my phone tells me how much time I spend every week on my phone. What if that were spent in prayer? What would happen in my family and in my community in this world? And that's what's going to happen if we want to see revival. And so I'm just I'm just moved by by what's happened. And here's what I can tell you. We think of revival as these corporate white tent happenings and in, you know, Asbury Chapel. And and, and certainly I think those are corporate things that happen. But by the time those things happen, God has begun to move inside of us. These are, it always starts individual before it happens corporate. And what I know from my own situation over a decade ago when, when I wrote the words in I Want God is that I needed God to move inside of me. And I and God showed me, Lisa, the God that that was in in these revivals corporately that you're studying is the same God that lives inside of your heart, and He can do inside your spirit that needs to be revived what He did there. And um, a boy, that's what happened inside my soul. 
I think that's so encouraging to think about. Just, I was so moved by the story that you shared about Flory Evans just standing up and just saying, I love Jesus with all my heart, because so often we are so bound by we're worried about what other people will think. And honestly, we just kind of adopt a more sophisticated, civilized view of Christianity. It's like we just want it to be like normal, but that's really, we, we've got to step outside the box. And what you said was really convicting to me too. Are we spending as much time and spiritual disciplines as we are scrolling on our phone? And I don't know if it's like this for everybody, but for me personally, Lisa, I always get that weekly notification on Sunday morning as I'm walking into church. And I kind of think that God has a sense of humor and he orchestrated, you know, the phone company to do that on purpose, because it is always a point of conviction for me to say like, wait, I spent how many hours a day on my phone, you know, watching cat or dog videos. I have to say dog, there you go, honey, because he doesn't want me to, you know, alienate all of the dog lovers out there, whatever you're watching, whether it's cooking or sports bloopers, (laughs) there are so many more things that we can do. And the other point that you're making, Lisa, is is so important and I don't want our listeners to miss it that revival doesn't happen in these carefully orchestrated magical made for TV moments it happens in the every day of our life and you actually share a pretty funny story about snow tubing with your family in chapter 4 of this book and the way that comfort has stolen from us everything that we think we want and that's really what we're talking about like don't move me out of my comfort zone like I'm just okay with how we're rolling right here but tell us that story and what you learned from it? Well, I'm a woman who uh, likes my climate-controlled life. I don't like to be cold, and I don't like to be hot. And so I'll just admit that about myself right now. (laughs) Um, And so I remember we were going to go take our kids snow tubing, and uh, my goal was that we would not be cold. I didn't want to be cold, and so I thought, I want us to have so much fun. Um, let, let me not be cold. Let my family not be cold. So I packed us what I considered really appropriately, put all the, the gear in, in, in our suitcases, and we went off for the mountains to go snow tubing. And I remember we, we went out, and we, we had all of our stuff on. I mean, we could barely walk down the hall. It was ridiculous. Uh, we were just so packed to the hilt with all of these <laughs> clothes on. We were sweating by the time we got outside. And I remember that I walked outside, and I thought, I am so clever I, that we are not cold at all. I did not feel this wind whipping around me. There's, I have defeated this mountain <laughs> and the snow and all of the elements, and it was all perfect until my son reached down to make a snowball and throw it at me. And then <laughs> I realized, oh, I can't run. I can't move. I am completely immobile. This great plan of mine to not be cold has been thwarted. My my fun, actually, in this moment has been thwarted by my great plan to not be cold. And what I realized in that moment is what I call in the book the principle of the greater desire, which is in that moment what I really wanted was to have fun with my family. I wanted us to have Mm. a great time and run around and all of that. But in the process, this other desire, a little bit lesser, was to not be cold. And so I had decided, oh, I don't want to be cold. And I had made myself immobile. And I had thwarted my greater desire, which was to have fun with my family, snow tubing. And it really taught me the lesson of this comfort thing that we have in life. 
that for a lot of my life has been an idol of where I really want to serve the kingdom of God. Oh, but I also want to be comfortable. And Mm -hmm. comfort presents like our very best friend. But while it does, it robs the life out from under us, this thriving, vibrant life that we actually want with God. And so we have to realize in that moment that there's this principle of the greater desire. What do I want desire? What do I want more? And sometimes you have to forego what you want in the moment for what you want most. That is such a compelling visual image. You know, I mean, just I I can relate as a Texas girl. I don't like to be cold either. I don't know how to dress for the cold. I hate washing socks. Like, I don't know how to do that. But thinking about that analogy for my life, that is what I do, Lisa. It's like, okay, yes, I'm going to walk with God. I want to do that. But I want to bring my job and my money and my family and all of these things that make me comfortable. And but they prevent us from moving. Now, that was a funny story that you shared, but you also share a very raw and compelling story in chapter eight, a few chapters over. And you actually asked your husband, you asked him this question, I'm about to say it, but I still can't even believe you're brave enough to ask it. And honey, don't think that I'm going to ask you this when when you get home, because I don't don't think this is going (laughs) to go down today. But you asked him, do you think I'm selfish? That was really brave. So share that with us and tell us why it's so critical to be willing to take a hard look at everything that really is in the way of wanting God most, in addition to our comfort. Well, I'm not in the process of asking hard questions like this to my, I'm not in the, let's say this way, I am not in the habit of asking my husband (laughs) questions like this, hard questions. Uh, I don't really want to know the answer. The problem was that the Lord had really revealed to me that I was dealing with the root of selfishness. Mm. And um, so I knew that it was true, but I just sort of wanted a second opinion. The problem is I probably shouldn't have asked my husband, you know, but I, 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 I wanted so much in my life, Jessica, to be to have a heart that was clean. And I really, really wanted to get rid of whatever was in my way because I knew that this, this life of desperation that I was living, this place that I was feeling so sick of myself, it was never going to get any better if I didn't face these hard things. I had lived a lot of my life just running away from it, well, running away from the hard conversations. And I thought, if God has revealed something to me, I'm going to have to ask and really drill down on it. And so I remember one night I was in my room and the Lord had been dealing with me and my husband happened to walk through the door. So I thought, well, here I go. Let me get the second opinion. <laughs> and um, and I asked him, I said, you know, do you, do you think I'm selfish? And it was interesting because, you know, we've had a million fights. Um, we're both really passionate people. We don't have an easy marriage. Some folks have a really easy marriage and um, they don't, they, they're not really as, as uh, spirited as we are. We'll say it like that. But, um, but I could tell that the way he had, he paused and looked at me and really, looked into my eyes, it wasn't one of those moments that he wanted to just kind of stick it to me. Mm-hmm. He looked at me and he very cautiously said, yes. And I knew it was actually spirit led and I knew he was right. And I had a good cry after that. And um, gosh, I feel emotional right now, but I also knew mm. that there was breakthrough on the other side because what he was saying was true. And I, and the Lord and I did some work after that. And um, so it's really important to do that because if you want the life that you really want, the life of freedom and the life that's on the other side of being sick of yourself and not ever making traction in working on things that are actually preventing you from the vibrancy you want, 
then you've got to be willing to ask the questions that are really hard, even though they hurt a lot to have the answer. You know, that reminds me of a scripture of Proverbs 27, 6. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. And, you know, I think about that in this kind of social media world. And I think about the world that our kids, Lisa, you and I, our kids are growing up in this. I mean, we are right in the trenches of this. And I think about them going on to social media and how those platforms train them to get likes, to get loves, to get claps, or, you know, whatever it is, whatever platform that they're on, and they get that hit of dopamine in their brain. And it's people that maybe they know, maybe they don't know that well as people that can see the front of how everything looks good, but don't see that behind the scenes, like things are a mess. And then when you look at, you know, asking those people who are close to you, those people who know you, whether that's your parents, your spouse, your siblings, your very good friends, people who are in your small group, having those people who will speak truth to you, I am convinced is one of the things that our kids need the absolute most because they don't have they don't have that and so when i think what a gift that your husband gave you lisa what a gift that he delivered that in that moment with kindness and that you knew you could trust it and then he'd also love and see you through well my husband and i also have a very passionate marriage he his family's italian so there's a lot of talking with the hands and i had to get used to that but i'll tell my kids we love big that's what we do Well, I want to congratulate Scott from Mississippi, Keith from Texas, and Scarlett from North Carolina. How fun is that, Lisa? We have both of our home states here, our states represented, who are the winners of today's book. Now, don't go away. Lisa and I are not finished talking. We're going to go into talking about a season of Lent and a resource she has for you for 40 Daily Fast. We'll see you in just a minute. Podcasts of the Dr. Nurse Mama Show are available on the podcast page at AFR.net. Now, back to Dr. Jessica Peck on American Family Radio. Well, hey, friends, and welcome back to my really exciting conversation with Lisa Whittle. She is a best-selling author, a speaker, a podcast host, a ministry leader. She's authored nine books. I've read them all, her latest in my hands and in the hands of three of our listeners soon, too. I Want God, How to Love Him with Your Whole Heart and Revive Your Soul. And really, Lisa, we have just been having a very authentic, transparent communication about the place of desperation that we have that we need to be in to really want and desire God and you write in this book about the lesser things that we often desire more than God, like comfort, you've talked about control. Oops, that's me. (laughs) I I really do love to have me some control. Uh, Popularity and blessing. Like, shouldn't we want to be blessed? How does wanting that blessing distract us from a greater desire for God? Yeah, I think blessing is the one that we often kind of tilt our head to the side and say, oh, I don't really get this one. Um, I, I I wrote this part because it dawned on me that I wasn't even fully aware of what blessing was, because we live in a culture that is it's confused uh, things like material wealth with true blessing scripturally. And so I think it's convoluted in the process 
our perception and our idea of what blessing even really is. And so we look around and we say, oh, you know, I want God to bless me like he's blessing this other person, which leads to comparison and jealousy and uh, disillusionment and disappointment with God and all of these other things, when in reality, um, we might not be honoring the ways that God is actually blessing us, or we might miss those. And what I realized in my own life is that what God wants for us is to desire Him, not what He can do for us. He, certainly, He wants to bless us. He's a good God. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be blessed. And a lot of us, I think, reference the, the prayer of Jabez about blessing us and expanding our territory. But when he was talking to Jabez, I will bless you and expand your territory. And it, that prayer that Jabez prayed, will you do that, God? What we often miss is that Jabez was the type of man to to pray that. He was already a man that God would expand the territory of. He was a prayed-up man. He was a godly man. And so I think the point here is that if we are so busy looking to the ways that God will bless us, it can actually get in the way of a pure relationship with Him and wanting Him with our whole heart. And so it's not wrong to want God to bless us. It's it's scriptural to to desire the blessing of God. But when that becomes the primary focus, that God would give us something, then we're missing completely what the relationship with God is supposed to mean. And that and that can get in the way of our relationship with Him. It absolutely can. And you've reminded me of yet another scripture, Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And Lisa, I'm having this visual of, you know, you and I are both moms. We're parents. We have teenagers. We've had teenagers. And, you know, when they're busy and they don't really have time for us and they're coming and going, but they're just kind of doing their own thing. And then all of a sudden they come up to you and they're like, hey, hey, mom, how are you? What's going on? You're instantly like, what do you want? What do you want? And it's not that I don't want to give them something good. I just think I really want you to spend time with me. You know, I would really love that. And that makes our ask so much more meaningful and so much easier in doing that. And I just think, you know, that is what God wants of us is to have that daily walk and relationship with him. And yes, there will be ebbs and flows. And yes, there will be stumbles and setbacks. And then there will be valleys and there'll be mountaintops and there will be peaks. But it's all about the journey. And I think in today's world, Lisa, we so often set our eyes on whatever finish line is before us, and we miss what's going on in the journey. One of the things that you have in your book that's a great resource is a list of 40 daily fasts. Now, on Ash Wednesday, I had a show where we talked all about Lent and the practice of Lent. And even if you're not Catholic, there are things that we can learn from this season of expectation, the 40 days from Ash Wednesday leading up to Easter. And most people think fasting is about food, but you have the list of fasting from a lot of different things and how engaging in that spiritual discipline can help increase our desire for God. So tell us all the things that you've learned from that. Well, you know, one of the things that we felt really important in this new version of I Want God was to include these fasts, these 40 days of fast, because 
not just for people that were going to participate in Lent, but fasting can happen any part of any time of the year. Uh, and I highly recommend it as part of our spiritual practice because, um, as a matter of fact, when I was writing I Want God over a decade ago, I was fasting in my body. And uh, it was an experience like none other um, in all of the books I've written. And it's something that is a powerful, powerful thing that accompanies our prayer life and just goes into a different realm spiritually. It truly, truly does. It's not just about food. Uh, I've fasted from shopping, actually, for a year, from 2015 to 2016, for a whole year. Uh, I fasted from shopping, besides necessities, uh, like shampoo and soap, which I'm sure everyone would be glad <laughs> about that. Uh, I did continue to buy deodorant for myself. But uh, other than that, I did not buy anything uh, that I wanted. And so uh, those things are interesting to do. Because, uh, people have fasted from Netflix and uh, fasted, you know, you've heard of dry January. People fast mm-hmm. from alcohol. But also things like, you know, fasting from people-pleasing and our desire to uh, understand God, uh, judgment. Um, And I think the reason why I wanted to put these very accessible fasts in the book this time was because I wanted people to understand these practices of fasting from things that we do on a daily basis often uh, are part of a lifestyle of even recognizing things in our life that are important to do. Um, and I, I wanted to just kind of give people a little bit of a, a kickstart. I, I, I have, I'll read a couple of them. It was like, uh, I will fast from isolation today and reach out to a friend. You know, we might not think about that. I'm an introvert. I can stay in my house <laughs> an unbelievable amount of days without seeing anybody. I really can. But I think sometimes we need to understand that we may be isolating ourselves from community, which is very, very important. And so things like that, a very practical thing, is helpful for us to understand, no, we really need to be in community with other people, especially after 2020 when we were um, isolating in our homes. A lot of us got into a habit of that. And so these are things that I wanted to really put before people to say, it's not just about food. It's not just about Netflix. It's not just about you know fasting from some of these things that, we, that might be no-brainers, but maybe there's some habits that you've gotten into that you need to fast from and um, – you know, we, we will not be perfect this side of heaven. It would be great if they would be eradicated altogether, and we certainly need to pray in that regard. But also, what if you fasted from them for a while? Maybe you can see some real progress in your life in that way, and God can help you do it. It's so true. And that's what we're talking about in 52 Habits for Healthy Parenting. That's what we're doing on the radio show all this year. Every week we introduce a new healthy habit and those habits that you can stack on top of each other. So we've talked about prayer and this week is having a daily devotional about being mindful of the music that you're listening to and listening with your face and giving someone their full attention. And these are all things that we can stack together. And we are going to have bad days, Lisa. I mean, we 
will. We will have days where we fall down, where we feel like I have not done anything that I'm supposed to do. But that's why God tells us that he gives us new mercies every single morning. It doesn't say you get a once in a lifetime reset or once a month or once a week even. It says that he gives us because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, but he gives us new mercies every morning. And in choosing to fast from some of these unhealthy habits that we have, which I can actually join you in the isolation. I like a little peace and quiet. I can go a few days with that. My husband really can't go five minutes. He goes to the grocery store just to see who's there, like just to socialize, I think. <laughs> and, and that's why we're all different though. So fasting for you may look different for fasting for me. But I think the question that you're asking here, Lisa, in these fasts is what is it that's keeping you from spending time with God? God. What is it that's keeping you from wanting God above all of those other things, whether it's control or isolation or any of those other things that you read today? I think those are things are really powerful. And you also have at the front of this book, 40 questions to take your own inventory. And, you know, social media has really trained us to have about a 90 second attention span. And, and looking at this, I think it's important for us to really sit with some of these questions. So I'll read some of these that you have written just so people can get an idea of what you're asking them. But you say, I have neglected to do something for God because it felt too costly. Like, have you ever done that? And just sitting with that and thinking about that, or I have a tendency to serve my immediate needs rather than willingly be uncomfortable by uh, while I wait. Now, friends, there are 40 of those questions right here in the book. So Lisa does not pull any punches. So if you get this book, you have to know that it is, it can really be a life-changing, transformative experience for you. And I want to go back to the last chapter of this book, Lisa, it's entirely titled, I Want God Most. Tell us about the three R's that you mention in that last chapter. Well, you know, this these R's came from really sitting with my father, who was um, over 30-year-long uh, pastor. And I remember I was, t- I was telling him what God had been doing in my life, and I was sharing with him this idea of wanting God. And I I think, I I can't remember if I was writing the book at the time or really just kind of showing him what was going on with me. And he kind of got this faraway look in his eyes, kind of eyes kind of glazed over. I could tell he was going back somewhere in his mind. And turns out he was going back to a sermon that he preached a long time ago. And he said, you know, Lisa girl, that was his name for me. He said, you know, Lisa girl, I, I remember I preached this sermon once. And it was from the book of Revelation, and it was Revelation 2. And he began to preach in the living room this sermon that he preached a long time ago. And it had these three points, all ours, remember, repent, repeat. And he talked about, um, it was where um, they, God was speaking to the church uh, of, of Ephesus and saying it was one of the letters, obviously, um, that uh that John was writing in the book of Revelation. And it was about uh, how they had forgotten about their first love. And he was saying, you know, you have uh, turned away, turn back to me again and do what you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. And in that compelling letter, in the compelling passage there, 
it was really, I mean, which was written to the good, good, good church people. Uh, it was these three words sort of emerged of remembrance and repentance and repeating. And it dawned on me, this is, this is the formula here. I don't believe in formulas that Lisa Whittle comes up with. Oh, goodness gracious, no. Um, we certainly have enough formulas online. But, one of the, but, the, but the formula that I believe in is, is a Word of God formula, because that's truth. That is um, lasting. That's living, breathing, and active. And this is a formula that stands the test of time. And so if you want revival of your soul, and if you want an ongoing soul revival, this is it. This is the formula. You remember God. You remember what He's done for you. Um, and I talk in the in the book about some ways that you can help remember. I mean, the, if you think about it, you know, the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it's all about remembrance. And, and there's a reason for that, uh, because we forget. We forget God. We forget what He's done. We forget who He is. And so it's remembering God, and then it's repentance, which is an extraordinary, extraordinarily important part of revival, as I said before. And then repeat, repeat, which is really doing what you did at first, uh, re- repeating what you've done that will draw you to the Lord. And um, so that's that's what I talk about in the in the end of the book. And it is really how you have a revival of your soul, and it's it's something that I recall often. It's beautiful, Lisa. And talking about repentance, you know, it's a serious word, but it's not a scary word. It's a beautiful coming back together. And you talk about how repentance is a core of any revival movement. And I want to read to to the listeners what you quote from Scripture from Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. This is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in grief. But tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to angry, and filled with unfailing love. Well, the book is called I Want God How to Love Him with Your Whole Heart and Revive Your Soul. You can find Lisa at lisawittle.com or on Instagram at Lisa Whittle. And Lisa, we just thank you so much for sharing your heart. I encourage you all to pray for National Collegiate Day of Prayer. Take some time to pray for those college students. And we'll see you here tomorrow for another Ask Dr. Nurse Mama Friday. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.